Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. If you're watching on YouTube, like the video right now. Just click like. We'd appreciate it and follow and click the bell as well. All the things. Jason Buttrell breaks down Russia's potential endgame goals in Ukraine. Elon Musk continues to shake up the Twitterverse. But I start by doing a split. Not the most flexible guy, but I'm going to try it anyway. Give it a whirl. Legs spread out. It's probably going to hurt quite a bit, but I'm going to give it a shot because I care about you and I care about America. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, the split I'm talking about is not me being physically uh, flexible. Uh, The split I'm talking about is in the polls. And I think it's important to understand what's going on in the polls because it gets more and more bizarre by the day. What I always try to tell people, because a lot of people are like, oh, you're you're always looking at the polls. Why do you look at the polls? What what does that tell you? Polls are always wrong. And it's just, you know, first of all, not true that they're always wrong. But one of the things that I think it's important to understand is that polls tell you basic things. They don't tell you very specific things. And the things often that we want to know from polls are specific things. Like we want to know who's going to win the election. That's the question we have. But that is not the question a poll is trying to answer. A poll is trying to answer something different, uh, something in a range of outcomes that shows you the generalities of where the race stands. Like people say, oh, well, we don't need polls. They're always wrong. Well, how do we know that how do we know that Chuck Schumer is likely going to win in New York, right? Like, how do we know that, uh, you know, some candidate in Massachusetts who's up by 35 points, how do we know they're going to win? Well, we know that because of polls. Polls tell us general things. They don't tell us specific things. If a poll tells you that one candidate is up by two points and you go into the election believing that because the poll said it, you're going to be disappointed a lot. Sometimes the polls will be massively wrong and the other candidate will win. Sometimes the polls will be massively wrong and that candidate that was up to is going to wind up winning the election by eight or nine. These things happen all the time. What it can generally tell you is that it's a relatively close election. That's what you should take from it. You should not take very uh, high levels of specifics from polls. It's part of the equation, and we can give us an interesting piece of of the puzzle, but it can't give us the entire thing. That's not really what it's even attempting to do. That's why there's margins of errors built into these numbers. You know, they'd love to get those numbers specifically right, but they can't, and that's why these things are wrong. Like, for example, 2016, everyone says, oh, the polls were really wrong, and then 2020, people will say, well, they they were predicting that Biden was going to win, and they got it right. Well, look, if you go back to 2016, the polls were closer than they were in 2020. But in 2020, they were closer on the right side. So states were like, okay, they, they were telling us that Joe Biden was going to win by eight or 10 points, and he wound up winning by two or three in a state. Well, that's a big miss for a poll. But because it told us that Biden won and Biden won, we're all supposed to sit back and say, well, the polls are good this time. Look, you got to look at it more closely than that. As you know, we look at these things very closely here. And we like polls up until a limit, is what I would say. And I want to tell you today about a problem with the polls that I just can't, I can't figure out. I can't 
I, I can't believe is actually reality. And that's the split we're talking about today. It's a polling split. For a long, long time, the American people were a group of people who would go into the polls and say, you know what, I like that candidate more than that candidate. He seems to come over uh, a little bit better than the other. Uh, and then next time they might be, you know what, I like the Democrat this time more than the Republican. And there's a lot of people who did ticket splitting. It was a big, it was a big thing, really, throughout our, our history. And slowly, over the years, it has started to evaporate. It is now uh, very rare. Very rare that ticket splitting happens in any large, large numbers. What we see typically are people who are Republicans or are Democrats or are leaning one way pretty strongly as independents. And they pretty much stick around and do they pick one and stick with it. The Republican governor and the Republican senator, they're going to vote for that one. They're not going to go Republican governor and Democratic senator usually. That number, which used to be, you know, commonly 10, 20 percent of voters would flip flop on that. Now it's tiny. These people barely exist unless you look at the polls that are hitting us right now. And it's going to be a really interesting thing to see as we get into this election. If any of this stuff holds up, it's really to be clear, really hard for me to believe. Here. But this is what the data is telling us. Let's look at a couple of these races. First of all, this is now this is um, before the debate. We obviously talked a lot about the Fetterman debate uh, this week. But let me show you a couple polls from Pennsylvania as we look at that in regards to the difference between some of these races. Uh, one of the recent polls here, Mehmet Oz, 46, John Fetterman, 51, five point lead for uh, John Fetterman. Now, Remember, when you're asking, when you're taking a poll, you're not going to all different people. You're going to the same group of people and asking them multiple questions. So in theory, the exact same group of people okay, answered this question a little bit differently when it comes to governor, where Josh Shapiro is at 56 and Mastriano is at 41. So Fetterman is up five and Shapiro is up 15. A 10 point split there. That's a moderately large split, but okay, maybe you look at that and you say, it's kind of a purple state anyway. Uh, Mastriano has been one of these candidates that's been really just savaged by the media there. Fetterman has his, his problems, obviously, as we've seen, as that race has narrowed. So maybe that explains the separation there. Maybe you could get on board with that. And 10 is not that much of a difference. Let's go over to... New Hampshire. Now, this is the latest poll out of New Hampshire. Don, uh, uh, Don Bolduc against Maggie Hassan. Now, Hassan has a one point lead in this race. This is, by the way, probably the best poll we've seen for Bolduc since the beginning. We talked to him, by the way, on radio yesterday. If you want to hear that interview, uh, it's worth going back and checking out if you don't know anything about him. This poll came out uh, just the other day and a one point lead for the Senate race for Democrats. Same same group of people. Ask the same things. Say, hey, we know what your polling is for the Senate. Let me ask you about the governor uh, race. And what we see there is Chris Sununo against Tom Sherman. Re Chris Sununo is the Republican. Now, remember, in the Senate race, the Democrat leads by one. In the governor's race, totally the opposite. Chris Sununo, 54. Tom Sherman, 37. A 17-point lead for Sununu. That's an 18-point split between these two races when the same people are polled. Again, I think you can look at that and you say, well, that's a really, really big split. But Chris Sununu is a, a popular governor. New Hampshire is a purple state. New Hampshire is a very independent state. If you're going to see ticket splitting, that's the type of place you might see it. 
Don Bolduc has been kind of presented as this guy who's extreme and was the more right wing of the candidates in the primary. So maybe, maybe you could come up with a justification, but 18 points is quite a bit. Is that real? Let's go over to Ohio. Now, this is a poll that basically this polling has been holding up for months and months and months. J.D. Vance uh, has been in a close race with Tim Ryan. Uh, He's opened up a small lead. This one's 48 to 44. Uh, J.D. Vance up four points. Now, the same people asked their opinion about the race for governor. You get a much different result. Mike DeWine is going against Nan Whaley there. And there, DeWine leads by 18 points, 55 to 37 a 14-point split between these two races. Are there that many people who are saying, you know, I just love this Mike DeWine. He was really, he's the only Republican governor basically in the country, uh, at least in a red state, that was kind of big on the COVID restrictions. But we really are embracing him, and then we don't want J.D. Vance, even though this is a red state. A 14-point split, is that real? Could it be possible that we look at the results that night and see a 14-point split? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Let me give you another one. Carrie Lake is going for governor in Arizona. She has a new poll out, the best poll I've ever seen for her. So congratulations to Carrie Lake. 54 to 43 over Katie Hobbs, who still to this moment refuses to debate Carrie Lake, which is, again, John Fetterman even showed up for the debate. Katie Hobbs won't. It's just absolutely remarkable. So an 11-point lead for Carrie Lake. Now, we're supposed to believe that the same people who are looking at Carrie Lake, who, by the way, was also presented as uh, an extreme candidate. He, she was a, an election denier, all these things. The same people polled with Carrie Lake giving her an 11-point lead are giving Mark Kelly, the Democrat, a two-point lead over Blake Masters. Again, same poll, same group of people, 45 for Kelly, 43 for Masters, and that would, of course, be a 13-point split. All of these you can kind of, every once in a while this stuff happens, right? Where a, a particular governor is very popular, a particular senator comes off really well, whatever it is. It's usually the governor with the big lead because they've maybe seen them do their job already and people are comfortable. Okay, you can occasionally see this. It happens once or twice every once in a while. These are just four examples of it happening and it seems to be super widespread. And why it's so weird is because everything about voting Everything about the climate that we are in tells us the opposite is happening. Back in the 50s, back in the 60s, back in the 70s even, there was a large group of people who would vote like this. They'd say, you know what, I want the Republican governor, Democratic senator. That's all but evaporated over the past few elections. I mean, everyone tells you all the time, this is the most partisan time. This is so divisive. People are on their side. They never even look at the other side. You know, and this came along, uh, it was even more pronounced in the Trump era, as Donald Trump came in, people really just stopped doing this completely. We have not seen split ticket voting at all, basically, over the past couple of elections. And yet we're supposed to believe there's somewhere between a 10 and 20 point difference between candidates with the same electorate. Does that seem real to you? So it's bad enough that when you go to your doctor, you have to wait half a day in the lobby, then spend another long stretch of time sitting on the little uncomfortable bed waiting some more. 
But then to make it a thousand times work, worse, when the doctor actually does come in and you have to tell them that, well, you've got uh, performance issues going on. If that's you, no, no need to be embarrassed about it. It's time to change all of that, and you can do it with RexMD. RexMD makes getting generic and branded ED medication easy. Everything is online, including the prescription, and they deliver it right to your door in a discreet manner. There are no office visits. There are... No conversations with the receptionist. None of the stuff that you don't want to do. Super simple. Uh, just fill out a quick medical questionnaire on their website. A doctor will review your situation and prescribe you generic ED meds if it is appropriate. It's fast. It's simple. It's cheap. And you can access your U.S. licensed RexMD physician anytime you need afterward. Go to RexMD.com slash stew. RexMD.com slash stew today. Get started with a starter pack of prescription or generic ED uh, medication. Um, also, or all over are coming with free two-day shipping right now. RexMD, the authority in men's telehealth. RexMD.com slash stew. R-E-X-M-D.com slash stew. We are at a tipping point in America. With 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system and a quarter of those awaiting a forever family, Christians must step up. This is Jack Graham, senior pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church, inviting you to Chosen a summit addressing these urgent needs on Saturday, April 13th. Chosen will empower churches to begin foster care and adoption ministries and equip families who are adopting or fostering. We have great speakers joining me, including Sadie Robertson Huff and Governor Greg Abbott of the great state of Texas, along with dozens of breakout sessions. I urge you to join us and help make a difference in the lives of these precious children. Register at Prestonwood.org Chosen. I want to bring in Jason Buttrell. He's the uh, head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck and his illustrious slate of programs. Uh, Jason, how's it going? It's good. Thanks for having me. Uh, can we talk about Ukraine a little bit? Yeah. Because this is a pretty big story still. We're dumping tens of billions of dollars over into this region. And because of the election, because of inflation, because of the stuff that we're dealing with here, really important stuff, it's sort of slipped off, uh, I think, the map for a lot of people. But we keep hearing these little bursts of news. Hey, we got the 101st Airborne is over there. Hey, they might have, is there a dirty bomb about to go off? We keep seeing these things uh, that are bubbling below the surface. The roar is still obviously raging. Where are we with this thing and what should we be looking at? Yeah, the money is starting to get annoying at this point. I'm tired of all the different like announcements. I think they should just like have what was that guy that would show up with publish, Publishers Clearinghouse with a big old check? <laughs> they should just hand Zelensky one of those, but have it blank but signed by you mm. know, Treasury Secretary. That save us all the the, the problem. We we all know we get it. You're not going to stop giving them billions and billions of dollars. We get that. It's really incredible to watch, especially in this economic climate. Whereas everyone's trying to say, and again, like Republicans are signing on for most of the stuff we should point out. I mean, this is not a Joe Biden only thing. The Republicans are approving this money largely. Yeah, I, I am not against helping Ukraine out. Um, I am a, against this like no holds barred. Anything goes, whatever they want mm. is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I mean, th there's things that we've done in the past. And I always liken this to like the Cold War, because if there wasn't all this weird media spin on everything and catastrophic language on everything, mm -hmm. this would be Vietnam. This would be Russia's Vietnam. Um, and a lot of people don't, mm. a lot of people don't remember like, so, you know, during the Vietnam War, the Soviets were doing the exact same thing that we're doing in Ukraine now. 
They were providing like all those. There's tons of movies now, like Flight of the Intruder. That was a really good, one, by the way. Um, that talked about all the Sams that were, you know, in Vietnam, and they were you know, they were shooting down tons of American aircraft. Tons of American pilots got killed in Vietnam just over the Soviet Sams alone, surface air missiles. Um, they had they had ground advisors from the Soviet Union, from their military, on the ground. They were supplying machine everything, uh, in, including cash and stuff like that. Um, but it wasn't out in the open. They didn't talk about it. They weren't going on NBC News and bragging about it. That just didn't happen. That was the, the rules of the Cold War were pretty firm. You could engage in things like that, like Afghanistan, like mm-hmm. we did in Afghanistan. But you didn't go out and openly brag about it. Both sides knew. But they didn't brag to their people and to the rest of the world. But this is a complete, I don't know how to describe this. It's just an anomaly. Like, but, but they're using this. And I think it's, it's kind of similar to, you know how the left right now thinks that they're in the civil rights era. Right. I don't know if they think that, but Constantly, that's what, yeah. yeah, they, they want to portray themselves as that. Mm-hmm. Like they're still fighting for civil rights. You know, they still want women to vote. Uh, okay. <laughs> they may someday. Jason. One day, don't one of these it. days, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. I, but, but that's how they want. I almost feel like they, they botched Afghanistan so royally. He's been given defeat after defeat after defeat geopolitically, mm-hmm. most recently with the Saudis for crying out loud. Yeah. Um, that they want to frame him as like the Reagan, uh, you know, to, you know, battling the Soviet Union of this era. They want Biden to be that. They want Biden to have his moment where he can stand and say, tear down that wall or something like that. And they can say, look, he defeated Russia, you know, in Ukraine. Uh, it almost feels like that. Yeah. But oh. the danger to this is is absolutely insane. Right. So I want to get there in a second. Let, let's I want to walk back to what something you said, because I think this is really, really crucial. And I, it's been something I've been sounding off on a lot when it comes to the Ukraine thing. We shouldn't be telling anyone that we're sending anything other than humanitarian aid to Ukraine. The New York Times might report it one day with their sources. I don't know. But we certainly should not be making any announcements about it. And part of the reason is what you talked about with the Cold War, where we had these sort of proxy wars that we would be able to invest in. Both sides knew what was going on. Um, but they were we were both sides were also able to deny it. And, and what's crucial about this, too, is giving Vladimir and this sounds bizarre, but giving Vladimir Putin some deniability that it's happening to his people. Like the, part of the strength of this philosophy and not telling everyone, hey, we're sending lots of missiles over to kill Russians. Right. Is that Vladimir Putin can't go to his people and say, hey, uh, you know, they are killing all of our people. This is not Ukraine. This is the West. This is America. And there's some like level of being able to maintain that Cold War style proxy war without that public knowledge so that in a way Putin can not, not be forced to go to his people and say that. I feel like we're putting him in a position. And again, I think he's the aggressor here, and I think he's the, a bad guy and completely insane. But we're putting him in a position where how can he deny that, he, that they're at war with us already? I know if this was happening and Russia was doing announcement after announcement that we're sending in, we're the ones sending the IEDs into Iraq. Can you imagine if Russia was making announcements like that? Yeah. We would absolutely be at war in Russia, with Russia in 10 minutes. Yeah. And now we're just like basing this whole uh, house of cards on the restraint of Vladimir Putin to uh, to accelerate this and expand it. I mean, it's terrifying. Yeah, no, it's terrifying. It's and you're absolutely right. I mean, and this is a complete 180 from even as recently as the Syrian civil war. 
I mean, at least yeah. then we were covertly sending Libyan arms, you know, through other groups yeah. over the, like, they didn't have our fingerprints on them. Now we all but just show them pink slips for tanks and, you know, and missiles and stuff and say, yeah, there you go. Well, we know we did it. the exact amount of how many <laughs> missiles and, and, and tanks and, and all these things that we sent over there. It's so wild. It's widely reported. Yeah. The exact number of, of, of uh, various pieces of equipment we've sent. That's insanity. I will, I will push back on a little bit on what you said, where you said you think that Vladimir Putin is insane. I won't go that far. I, I, brutal, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, murderous, yes. Unethical, with no scruples whatsoever, yes. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's insane. I, if I, the day I say he's insane, the day I actually start getting worried about this escalating much further. But I personally think, and I think this is important to understand because... The Biden administration is not talking about motivations on the Russian side. The mainstream media is not talking about motivations on the Russian side. No one is. In fact, if you do talk about what could possibly be motivating them in this, mm-hmm. you're instantly labeled, you know, a Putin ableist or pro-Russia, yeah, right. which is absolute insanity. Right. So basically what you have right now is a giant game of chicken. And this is exactly this absolutely is a proxy war between the West, mostly the United States and Russia. But what you have right now is a game of chicken and you have Putin on one side just like you said, saying, look what the West is doing. This is the United States fighting us. Look at all these. They're not even trying to hide it. And that's all his people are hearing. They're not hearing any other outside input. Then you hear Biden on, on our side saying, yep, that's what I'm doing. And, you know, it's um, nuclear war and, you know, and we're saving democracy and which is not our job. And um, and so you have both sides hyping up their people. That's in their best interest. But they're playing a giant game of chicken. If we don't if we don't look at why Russia is doing this, if, even if we don't agree with why they're doing it. But if we just don't look at it and say, well, this is the reason why, we're never going to win. We're never going to know when to swerve and say, OK, enough is enough. I have no confidence whatsoever the Biden administration knows when to swerve. I don't think that Putin even knows his swerve point yet mm-hmm. either. Um, and that's kind of what worries me, because right now they're both like you mentioned, the 101st going to uh, to Europe which I think is a pure publicity stunt that was aimed, I believe, more at the United States, you know, to kind of justify all, all of our actions there. Sure, sure. I talked to a buddy um, that is high up in the, in, in the military right now, and he said there's nothing different with deployment schedules um, as per U.S., what we've been doing since Afghanistan, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the 81st Airborne was there not too long ago, um, if memory serves. Now, if they took the entire 101st and, and rotated them in, in place of somebody else, it doesn't change what we were already going to do or what we have been doing for years. Right. But the symbolic nature of the fact was yeah. the whole point. Yeah. But then you get the entire mainstream media talking about how it's historic, first time since World War II. Oh my gosh, what's about to happen? Right. You're just, what you're doing is you're doing two things. You're helping Putin, which I do not want to do, and you're helping Joe Biden, which I do not want to do. <laughs> I don't want to help either of right. these guys out. Yeah. So I think a more level-headed approach mm-hmm. you know, is what, now, I do think that Russia, uh, so we're looking at ways to escalate, you know, but not escalate, but like escalate, like say, you know, symbolically. Right. But I do think Putin is looking at ways of what can I get away with? Um, And when you start looking at nuclear scenarios, that's when it starts getting worrying. Yeah, because I I do think that's where I come down. I'm not, most of the things you worry about in life, you shouldn't worry about. And that's, I think, is true almost across every single aspect of news and life and everything else. When you have those things that I think are a low probability, high risk uh, issue, which I think you'd look at this, uh, obviously the nuclear, uh, possible nuclear exchange would be very, very high risk. I still think very low probability, but if it's 0.1%, 
still significant to talk about is it's, you know, a, a really, I mean, it's as close as we can get, the fastest path we can get to real destruction. Uh, is that something that we should be worried about? Should it just be something that we just dismiss at this point? And how do we avoid it? So strategic, uh, like theater-wide nuclear war, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about mm-hmm. the slightest, mm-hmm. unless we get way ahead in the steps. Um, but I do think that he said, like the, the, the dirty bomb thing, yeah. I think that is a possibility. Mm-hmm. Him saying that the Ukrainians might do it is, actually, is exactly how Russian intelligence services operate. They're just saying that so that it's cover for when they do it, and then they have deniability. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is exactly a possibility because it's not technically a nuclear detonation. Right. So the West would be like, oh, crap, how do we respond to this? The West would take a step back and they, they, they would be delayed in what they would. They wouldn't know what to do, basically. And they might try to force Zelensky to the no- negotiating table. So that's possible. That doesn't mean that we're going to respond militarily. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the point. Like, it's kind of a ground no one's ever been to before. Detonating a nuclear weapon, let's say out in the Black Sea, but close enough for Ukrainians to see the fireball, that's a possibility. Mm. That would not warrant a, a nuclear response back because it was out in the sea. We wouldn't know what to do, but it might force the Ukrainians to the negotiating table. Got to start looking at things like that. Tactical nuclear weapons, I don't think, are. you heard a lot about those a yeah, few weeks ago. battlefield type. Yeah, I don't think that that's a possibility either because it's not like those things are just sitting in mortars that are just waiting to be deployed. They're like stored in a facility. We would have 24 to 48 hours notice on that. Also, so, it would be... It would be the type of thing where you're starting, you'd start to look at, is there a military response? Now, I still, look. There would be then. You think Ukraine, if, if they did it in Ukraine, yeah. we would actually, we would militarily respond, but not nuclear, uh, respond in a nuclear sense. Not nuclear. Right. So I, what I think that in transit, I think that we would hit the delivery mechanisms, like the, the launchers, or we'd, we would hit that. Mm-hmm. But that is a major escalation. <laughs> yeah, especially <laughs> if it's us doing it and not... Exactly. So then then Putin has grounds to up the ante and you then you could start talking about theater strategic level nuclear war, which would suck. And and this is, I guess, my you you mentioned I I never know if Biden's going to have the right moment to swerve. This is what does worry me about this, because. I've never seen Joe Biden do something that didn't turn out to be a catastrophe. Like I've never seen him be involved in a thing that did not turn out and to be an utter catastrophe in every way imaginable. And yeah. so the fact that he's involved in this really does scare me. And look, you know, Putin, I think you're right in the fact that insane's not the right word, but has totally different value system than we do, does not act rationally as we would in all of these situations. You know, I mean, I think just the invasion in and of itself is a really erratic thing to do. The way he did it was obviously not, he did not have mastery of the situation. Uh, so I do worry that, you know, as he gets, as he really looks at this and, and maybe he does look like, hey, this might be a loss. I'm in real trouble. How does he act out to try to save it? And does he try to distract in a way with something like a dirty bomb, which, again, I don't think is a justifiable thing for us to be involved in per se. But it, I will say that it risks it. it. It definitely increases the risk of this it flaming up from a war that we're involved as a, you know, in a proxy sense to a situation where we're involved directly. Yeah, I'm scared. I am scared of it, of it swinging out of control like that. Yeah. I, yeah, I am, too. I, I guess I'm, I'm worried on both sides how they're going to react because Putin doesn't really have a way out of this. No. You know, he, he's got to escalate further else. He looks like a total, you know, failure to his people. And in Russia, that's not good. No. So he's either looking at being removed if he fails 
uh, or just escalating, you know, and going forward. I, I think that, I think in all conflicts, this is one of the first things they teach you when you study geopolitics and foreign relations, is that take out everything you hear from politicians, that includes the main leaders themselves, Biden and, and Putin, take everything they say and throw it out the window. Uh, well, don't throw it completely out the window. L leave it, because there's always the, ch the chance of a Hitler or something like that that sure. comes along, but that's rare. Mm -hmm. um, but take most of that out, out the window and think about what both sides' national interests are at the moment. So right now, for Biden, let's just say the, in the United States, we do not want Russia on the back door of NATO. So we don't want them controlling Ukraine. Um, Putin's side. They cannot have a NATO country <laughs> right. right on their back door. It's basically the same. So what they're looking for, probably, ultimately, well, for, for Russia, the ultimate win would be uh, a Russian a puppet there. So yeah, that they are on Belarus. But the compromise will be a fully neutral Ukraine. Now, that's the only way that this ends in a great way for the rest of the world, not specifically for Ukraine, but for the rest of the world. Now, what does that mean? Is it like an Elon Musk type, you know, Twitter poll where they seed <laughs> territory? Hey, maybe. And a lot of people that are very pro-Ukraine are probably, you know, punching my face on the TV right now. Yeah. But that possibly could be the only way forward. We won't really know until we see how bad it gets once the fighting really picks up, once all Russia's conscripts over the winter start hitting the front lines. Then we'll see how this is going to go in the future. But there's still a lot, a lot of time to happen. Miracles could happen, you know, on the Ukrainian side. I'm not sure. But when we talk about when they're willing to swerve, the first one that does swerve and backs down is when they will start talking about peace in that area. Mm. Right now, they don't really look like they know when they're going to. Right. They don't want to be the one that swerves. Hopefully a brain mm. materializes in the Biden administration. Uh, good luck with that. Uh, Jason Buttrell, <laughs> head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck. Uh, lots of uh, big specials coming up. Make sure to check it out and follow him on the Twitters as well. Jason, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. Well, until your new home uh, explodes in a fiery nuclear war, you need to make sure you get the best deal on it. And that's why you got to go to realestateagentsitrust.com. This is your biggest investment. Uh, this is a lot of responsibility. You need an agent that can take all of that responsibility seriously. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person. They work only with the best agents in every market. They do their homework. They talk to every agent before inviting them to join the network. And they only work with full-time professionals, no part-time or inexperienced agents. You need somebody who really knows what they're doing here, and that's why realestateagentsitrust.com exists. The process is simple. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com, provide them with some basic info. The team will contact you to make an introduction to their preferred agent in your town. It's an easy way to go. realestateagentsitrust.com, whether you're buying or selling a home, realestateagentsitrust.com. The Philadelphia Inquirer is here to make sure that you know John Fetterman deserves our respect, not ridicule, after the U.S. Senate debate, which I think they misspelled debate. They misspelled debacle. Uh, look, I would agree as a kind as a kind individual, a kind human being, as you know that I am. Ridicule is not the right reaction uh, to watching John Fetterman on stage, nor, by the way, is respect. That's not the right uh, thing either. What I felt and what many others felt was pity. Like, what are they doing to this guy? Now, I don't know. I, my guess is he's the type of person that was like, no, I can get up there. I can do it. And that's sad. Someone needed to talk him out of that because this was a disgrace. I mentioned earlier uh, that uh, Katie Hobbs will not debate Carrie Lake in Arizona. 
even, I mean, you give him some respect, I guess, for the fact that he showed up, unlike Katie Hobbs. This is a terrible decision for his campaign and his political future, obviously. I mean, it was a, it was a catastrophe in every way. Now, they were trying to they're trying to make it seem like I, I saw someone, some analyst today saying, like, look, if he wasn't going to debate, he, he would have had to drop out if he wasn't going to say yes to this debate. What, what are you talking about? Katie Hobbs is still in the race somehow for some reason. You should debate. I mean, the only reason you don't debate your opponent is you're so far up. It, it's just it's a, it, there's no reason to bother. Like you're up by 40 points in the polls. You just say, okay, why am I going to do this? What's the point? Why give them the satisfaction? I'll roll to victory. That does happen. And sometimes it makes sense from a candidate to do that. Um, But it doesn't make much sense when you're in a close race like these races are. Uh, I don't know. I mean, everyone's trying to come up with their way to figure out how to talk themselves out of what people saw the other night. And I just don't think it's going to happen. You know, I think you're, you're going to get to that point with Pennsylvania voters, particularly ones that are persuadable, that are in the middle, maybe not not sure which way to go, that sadly they're going to feel embarrassed by even admitting that they were going to vote for John Fetterman. You're, you're going to get to the point where I think there I honestly think there might be something where we start seeing movement in the polls and then we see the election turn out a little bit closer than some of those polls indicate, because there may be some people who are maybe Democratic leaners who are actually embarrassed to tell pollsters that they would vote for this guy. And. You know, someone, I keep coming back to this thing that I think we mentioned here on the show. We definitely did on radio the other day. One of the analysts said, you know, the amount of pure partisanship required to vote for John Fetterman after watching that debate should be studied by academic institutions. Like it, it just the only way you could possibly think he'd be the better candidate out of those two is just partisanship. That's it. It's the only way you could possibly come to that conclusion. Now, you think things are bad for Fetterman now. Let me tell you, they're about to get much worse. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are coming to rescue him. Now, this is sad. Again, does someone hate John Fetterman? Why are they doing this to him? First, they made him get up on the stage in front of millions of people when he had absolutely no ability to do so. And then they're sicking both Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. Did he commit? Is he did he commit treason? What are we doing to this guy? Anyway, Harris and Biden are going to go there and they're going to make a campaign appearance. And of course, what's happened with these campaign appearances is that Fetterman just stands there and lets other people talk because obviously he can't speak very well. So Biden and Harris, I guess, are going to be the ones talking. Can you imagine the amount of gibberish that is going to be spoken between Fetterman, Biden and Harris in the same area at the same time? This is the most incoherent group of people that has ever been uh, ever been put together. But we may very well see that here uh, in a couple of days. Uh, New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez is under federal investigation. Again, this is kind of what Menendez does. He gets investigated. It looks like he's going to be in serious trouble. The last minute somehow he gets out of it. He then immediately wins re-election and then goes back under investigation. That's how this seems to work for him. Kind of the same charges that, that he was going up against in 2017, which he should have been convicted from. I mean, this is one of those stories where you can tell by the actions of the government, they really believe he did something very wrong here. And they were not un- unable to prove it last time. They're going to give it another whirl here coming up. It's not a double jeopardy type of situation. Uh, it's more of a, uh, they're, they're including different people, different side characters in this. But of course, uh, Bob Menendez is a central character. And Herschel Walker is denying new uh, allegations that he forced somebody else to have an abortion. I've mentioned this before when it comes to the Me Too allegation stuff. Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson was one of these stories where they had a masseuse come out and say, hey, he did all these things to me. And and then after that happened, a week or two later, 
prominent lawyers came out and said, hey, we found five other people who said the same thing. And one of the pieces of evidence that you know is true is because they describe things in very similar ways. Well, they all heard the first one, right? Like, it's easy to sound similar to the first accuser after you've heard the first accuser. It may not mean that the person is lying, but we all understand if you were trying to do something and take advantage of a situation, let's say for politics or money, you'd come out and you'd say, yeah, he did the same thing to me in the same way. Once again, we have very similar evidence. Another greeting card with, the eight, with an H on it, which is supposed to prove that he likes abortion. I, I don't even know what this is. Uh, it's a bizarre thing. I, apparently, the abortion section of your local Hallmark has been completely cleared out by Herschel Walker. That's all he's doing all the time is buying abortion uh, cards for everybody. Again, I remind you that abortion is a fundamental human right that no one should ever be denied, except Herschel Walker, who, if he did this, only executed that right and then paid for a woman to to uh, to execute the right of abortion. And execute does seem like a good word for this particular story. Also, by the way, can we point out that these allegations were presented by an unknown person, voice only on a on a speakerphone. Uh, and Gloria Allred. Now, Gloria Allred is not a reliable figure. She is obviously a nonstop politics. Every single big political story, she's got an accuser for the person that the Republicans want to win. If the Republicans want them to win, somehow Gloria Allred always finds an accuser to say something bad about them. And then, after the election, it just all goes away. We never hear about it again. If I were to walk into a room and see nine jelly beans on a table and see them with my own eyes and then walk out of the room and then Gloria Allred told me there were nine jelly beans on the table, I would not believe there were nine jelly beans on the table. She's the least reliable narrative in America. There's no reason to believe anything that Gloria Allred ever says. I think at this point, every American should know that. Uh, CNN employees are bracing for layoffs after the network chief warns of unsettling changes ahead. This story, I don't know if you support this story. Is, is it a reliable source? It comes from uh, CNN.com. The, one of the reasons why all these layoffs are going to be hitting CNN.com coming up is because the economy is shaking apart. You know, CNN's coverage a lot of times make you th- makes you think, oh, everything's fine. We've got an election coming up. Joe Biden's doing a great job. Well, CNN itself, behind the scenes, is so panicked about the economy, they're laying off lots of their people. This is a tumultuous sort of time. Uh, there's all sorts of turmoil out there, and we are looking to see for we're looking for some solutions. Our leaders are saying, "Okay, well, we'll just spend more. What if we spend more and more money and we uh, water down the currency even more?" You got to fight back against this. If you text Stu to nine eight nine eight nine eight, Birch Gold is going to send you a free info kit protecting your savings with gold and a tax-sheltered account. These are people who, with over 20 years' experience, uh, converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRA. Precious metal IRA. Um, if you are interested in all in this, you need to do your own homework. You need to understand what's going on with this and how it works. But it's pretty easy to do. Text STU to 989898. You'll get your free no-obligation info kit from Birch Gold. Again, your own physical gold in a tax-sheltered account. Birch Gold can help you do it. It's Birch Gold. Text STU to 989898 and secure your future with Birch Gold. In one of the most important religious liberty cases in quite some time, uh, there was Coach Kennedy. Coach Kennedy, if we remember, he was on this show. We, we talked to him. He was a uh, 
part-time assistant coach at a high school who got fired because he prayed on the field by himself. Uh, I mean, just one of the more crazy stories of all time. This wound through the courts, eventually got to the Supreme Court with the help of First Liberty Institute, uh, which is, you know, an organization we absolutely love. Uh, They went and they pushed and they got this to the Supreme Court. And eventually uh, he, uh, Coach Kennedy, won that case. And I don't know, like I kind of he's moved on with this. Life. This is years and years ago. And he's moved on with this life. And he kept saying, like, all I want to do is get my old job back. That's all I'm asking for here. So they went back and forth. And I kind of thought I said this uh, after after <laughs> after uh, Jeremy left. Jeremy Dice is his attorney. And I said, look, you know, I mean, I don't know what they're doing here. He's, I can't imagine he's going to go back and coach this team again. He probably doesn't really want to. Maybe they're just trying to, uh, you, you know, get some extra money out of the case or something. I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know what the motivation was. Well, uh, now we do because he's going back to coach the team again. He said all he wanted to do was go back and coach the team, and that's actually who this guy is. He's actually going back, and he's been reinstated as assistant coach in at Bremerton High School, uh, which is just incredible after all these years. They're still trying to figure out the details, but a good outcome, and I'm really glad for uh, Coach Kennedy and uh, Jeremy Dice. He's, uh, Jeremy Dice even quoted in the article from ABC News, uh, so kind of cool. He's been a guest on the show, of course, many, many times, friend of the program. Uh, LeBron James has dropped to 0-4. Oh, God, do I love this. If the, Look, I don't ask for much. All I want is LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers to go 0-82 this year. That's all I'm asking for. Is that... Well, also, I want... I, I hate to ruin it for all the people nodding with me, but also I want the Cowboys to lose all the rest of their games. But outside of those two things, and the Eagles to win the Super Bowl. But other than that, and the Yankees to go 0-162, and the Blue Jays to win the World Series. Really, out of a few minor requests, what do I ask for here? Not, not, not much. Also, uh, Miami Beach is adopting uh, ordinance banning hairstyle discrimination. Is this really happening? Like, you're renting uh, an apartment to somebody, and they come in, and you're just like, ah, I would totally give you this uh, two-bedroom loft, but that hair is just, wow. They're saying it's some racial thing that I get, like, you're racist, not against, the skin color thing would already be illegal, but now you're, they're saying, look, it's not skin color, we promise, it's just the hair. Is there really a landlord doing this? I don't know. Maybe there is. But just so you know, if you were thinking, I'm going to open up a business and then I'm going to tell people with certain haircuts they can't come in in Miami Beach, you have to redo your business plan. Okay, so here's what happened. A zoo in Sweden has been partially shut down after a king cobra escaped. All right. How did a king cobra escape from a a terrarium like this? It had been housing king cobras for about 15 years, but one of them got out. Why? It's a very common problem that we're having in our world. I'll tell you that much. Let me explain. Uh, the, The zoo put out a statement. They said the escaped snake had an advantage over previous tenants because the staff had recently replaced the lamp at the top of the enclosure with a low energy bulb. Mm-hmm. These damn green freaking technologies are going to lead to a, a, an overrun of our society by king cobras. That's, all, that's the only conclusion you can have here. Uh, the old light was so hot that the snake, no snake wanted to get close. But now that it's not hot at all, and the king cobra discovered this and wedged its head in between the light bulb and the light fixture and managed to push itself out. Now imagine being at the zoo when all this is going on. Let me put you 
into the place of the people who were there at the time. A visitor managed to capture the escape on video where a distressed person can be heard asking, is it safe to be here? A staff member calmly replied, no, but we're working on it. So <laughs> everything is going to be fine. Just think about that. Next time someone says, oh, we should get some, oh, we got to spend money on green technology. Yeah, you want King Cobras all over the place? Is that what you want? Because that will be the result, I promise you. Uh, comments from YouTube. Make sure to check it out. Uh, the show is on YouTube every day. You can comment below. Click like on the video right now if you haven't already. The debate, uh, the Fetterman debate, was truly disturbing. I was torn between empathizing with Fetterman and being pissed this is being allowed and even encouraged by the left. This is the reason they kept Biden in the basement. Yes, it is. And it's also why they should have kept Fetterman there. Uh, I, I completely agree, Stu. It was just like the cool kids laughing at the disabled kid on stage. It was such a horrible decision to allow him on that stage. Our president is not far from this as well. Sadly true. Uh, another one uh, from the other day. Love you, Stu, but never use the word Pelosi and juggernaut in the same sentence again. I'm having Italian vacation pick PTSD. Oh, God, the picture. I remember this. Yeah, we should all be disturbed by this. Can you can you tell which one's the Photoshop? Probably not.